I think like good housewives are messy, transparent. The best ones are delusional. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. And today, our episode is about a cultural juggernaut. An institution big enough for its own convention with 30,000 attendees. It's not comics or drag. It's Bravo. Bravo is a dynasty in the world of reality TV. And its flagship franchise is The Real Housewives. The Real Housewives alone has over 50 total programs. That includes former shows, international installations, and spinoffs. If you're not already a reality TV truther, this train is coming for you. Half of American adults watch at least one hour of it per week. So in case you don't know what The Real Housewives is, it's a docuseries about a bunch of rich women, many of whom are already kind of famous, who invite us into their lavish lives. Jen threw her tennis bracelet. How much do you think that bracelet is worth? Oh, 70 grand. At minimum, $70,000. It's like $70,000. They go on extravagant trips with each other. Paris, Amsterdam, Arizona. You don't seem that enthusiastic about a girl's trip to Arizona. It's the redheaded stepchild of Utah. It's just Utah, warmer, and with more white people. Well, I don't think Jen can leave the country. And most importantly, they get into explosive, glass-throwing fights over dinner. So we set out to answer one question. Why is The Real Housewives peak culture, as in the number one thing in the group chat, for so many people? Here we are at the Javits Center. It's a beautiful fall day. (laughs) (laughs) To find out, I went to BravoCon, the Bravo convention, in October with my producer, Liam McBain. We're both fans of Bravo, and I was so pumped because we were scheduled to interview a few of the housewives. I'm the most excited, hoping to see the grand dame, Karen Huger from Potomac. Maybe I can get close enough to see if she smells like her candle. I honestly could not smell her through my mask when we talked, but she did pat me on the arm and say I did a good job after. Of course, you can be the judge of that later. But while I was revved up and ready to go, Liam, he was actually really skeptical coming in. We are standing on the precipice of, um, I think, an experience that's going to change our lives. I mean, I kind of hope not, but... (laughs) (laughs) And Liam, you had pretty good reason for feeling this way. Yeah. I mean, I was seeing things on Twitter about how chaotic it was. Like, I saw some claims comparing it to the fire Festival because of lack of seating and crowd control. Like, people were busting through roped-off lines. And I don't like large crowds. I was just worried that we would see people fighting like the housewives, duking it out, but on a bigger (laughs) scale. But there we were anyway. And BravoCon kind of did end up changing our lives. And we also found out exactly what fans get out of The Real Housewives. Coming up, we're going to break it all down. How the sausage is made from a former Real Housewives producer, the blueprint it used to grow this fandom, and what BravoCon revealed to us about ourselves. Stay with us. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. 
When you plan your celebration of life in advance, it becomes a gift from you to your family, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. With Dignity Memorial Providers, you can pre-plan every detail to give your family and yourself valuable peace of mind, knowing that everything will be taken care of with professionalism, compassion, and attention to detail that is second to none. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, First Republic Bank. You set your financial goals years ago, and now you're reaching them. You're ready to do more than you thought because you didn't come this far to only come this far. With First Republic, you get a personal banker, a consistent point of contact who's ready to help you go the rest of the way. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. How would you describe the energy in here? To me, it seems like a lightly bubbling pot that I, <laughs> I predict in about two hours is going to boil over. I don't really know how to properly express what BravoCon looked like, but for you all, I will do my best. Inside a windowless concrete warehouse, imagine cramming a Disney World, a carnival, and a Dadaist art exhibition. There was a carousel featuring the likenesses of various Bravo celebrities, a museum with artifacts on display from canonized Housewives episodes, several bars, multiple stages, and what felt like endless aisles of branded merchandise. And there were so many people everywhere. Folks signed up for photo ops on fake sets or to catch a glimpse of a passing housewife. Oh my God. Wait, it's the Countess Luann. Oh my God. The former Countess Luann just passed by. And you said New York is your favorite franchise. Yes. How did you feel just now watching I her? I mean, I love her. So it's like crazy that she just walked by. What was her song? Money don't Money can't buy, buy class. class. Also, chic, c'est la vie. C'est bon. C'est bon. Do y'all have her album? Like- you might know her discography a little bit. <laughs> My producer Liam and I, we both consider ourselves fans, but as we walked through the con, we met people who spent hundreds, even thousands of dollars to attend BravoCon. People who can only be described as Bravo super fans. I am a Bravo-holic, I would say. I'm married to a nerd. They have all their Comic-Cons. This is my Comic-Con. <laughs> and one fan named Mona really distilled how it has reached this height of popularity using an existing model. I think that Real Housewives, or reality TV in general, has replaced the, what people used to watch more often, which was soap operas. Uh, but this is soap operas on steroids. And Mona is on to something. We're going to leave the con for a sec because we found an academic who's got PhD next to his name, thanks to the ladies of Atlanta. His name is A.C. Hawley. We have really been loving your dissertation around here, so it's a real pleasure to talk today. No, that's good to hear. He theorizes that soap operas, they were peak culture once. But now there are just three soaps on broadcast TV, down from over a dozen in the 90s. And they've essentially been replaced with reality programming. AC says that reality TV is just cheaper to make than scripted shows. Your production values are lower. You don't have to hire a whole writing room to make five hours of content every week. And even the convention is straight out of the soap opera money-making playbook. There were soap opera conventions where 
all the stars from a particular networks. So there'd be ones for NBC, ones for ABC, ones for CBS. They would go around the country and like various stars from the soap operas would go and meet with fans, sign photos, have panels. The Bravo convention idea was, I was like, oh, I thought to myself, of course they would do that. Why wouldn't they do that? It makes <laughs> perfect sense in what they're doing with their programs. And AC's point here perfectly lines up with what we witnessed at BravoCon. It mirrored soap opera conventions because people came to be enveloped by their fandom for a day. Oh my gosh. We've reached the Citadel. (laughs) We're in the center of it all. There's so many people here. A lot of the branded experiences were corny, but even after talking to just a handful of people, we started having a great time. They were so energetic and smart and kind. They were all excited about something I'm also into. Like, I really have been feeling a transference of joy from other people. Are you feeling that? Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm psyched. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm psyched to be here, you know? And a lot of these super fans we talked to were really clear on why The Real Housewives is their top fandom. Have any of you all ever felt, like, inspired by The Real Housewives? You know what I've told someone? I think it's really cool to watch these women live their lives over, like, 10 years. Because you go back and watch old episodes and you see the things that they're struggling with and know that they're going to be solved. Because I'm like, it would be nice if someone would, like, zoom out on my life and be like, don't worry, in two years, this is going to be fine. And so I think it's really special to have this like parasocial, intimate relationship with these women and, and like follow them for so long, which is really cool. And to understand how exactly Bravo goes about building this fan base, we need to know how this thing gets made. And that requires a phone call. We got the download from a Real Housewives producer, Danasia Ferguson, on the sets of Atlanta and Potomac. But first, I had to ask her, can you set the record straight right now? Is the show real or is the show fake? show is real, y'all. I know that the show is real. I've seen people have breakdowns in real time and let's follow it. I really watched the fight in Mexico. That was real. There's a level of it that might just be unbelievable. But it's still heavily produced. I'm a firm believer that a lot of the producers, Housewives producers, in any franchise, we are FIFA coaches. And when I go in, I go in to win. I want my World Cup, if that makes any sense. And my World Cup is making sure that the fans enjoy what they're watching. You know, my job is when they sit down and they plop their butts on the couch and they open up their Stella Rosa wine, that they have an opportunity to escape and see themselves in some form or fashion through these ladies. And Danasia's just one of many producers working under the big, big boss, Andy Cohen. There is no Real Housewives without Andy. He's the divisive executive producer, presenter, and queen maker for all the ladies on every franchise. Here's a clip from a recent interview with Andy. The secret sauce of the Housewives is all in the casting and taking people out of the mix and putting people back in and putting new people in. It's a process that we all care very much about. It's his chessboard and he's moving pieces. And Danasia, she says she wasn't privy to every production decision made up top. Are they being co-produced to do other things, right? And I, Mm -hmm. I would say in my instance, 
I'm always telling them that they're responsible for themselves. You know, I'm not sure how everybody produces because, you know, when we are talking to these ladies, sometimes we're talking to them privately. Sometimes they're having conversations beyond us with executive producers. You know what I mean? And if you want to be the villain, I'm ready to rock out. (laughs) Let's go. Producers like Danasia are assigned to work with specific housewives. And I know y'all are wondering which housewives she was assigned to, but Danasia's a professional and we could not get that out of her. However, we're going to stick with her for a bit because she's got other tea for us from behind the scenes. What was it like to pitch segments for them? Like, what does the producer bring to the success of a season of Housewives? So pretty much what happens is we need to be pitching stories based off of the information that our talent has told us. I'll never forget my first set of meetings as, as an associate producer coming in. I'm sitting there in the room and I'm looking at all these little index cards and all these other stories that hit the board. But I told my talent, we don't see any color on your board. What is going on? You just on? told her directly. Yes. And when I said that, then everything started to flood in. This is what's going on. I, listen, I have a root canal on Wednesday. How did that even, how do I pitch this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or if you hear another person pitch a story about another castmate, how can I put my girl in there? Oh, I heard that your girl is struggling with her hair care line. Well, guess what? My girl, my girl has a meeting with QVC soon. You get what Mm. I'm saying? So it's like when you're in that meeting, you're just thinking of yourself, you know, how can you include their story as much as possible? I think that was my way of going into it. Some people are a little bit more competitive. They want to cut throats. I just, I just want to get my girl in a scene to tell her story. As long as you let me into that door, I'm following it. Overall, I think it's fair to say that Bravo has a very luxurious look or a pretty luxurious look across most of their reality franchises. I recently started watching Married to Medicine. A lot of luxury in that. I'm wondering what kind of budget you all had because it seems like in general, a lot of other reality TV, it doesn't have the same polished look, I would say. Yeah. Everybody knows when you're dealing with Bravo, you're dealing with, you know, uh, a big budget. But I have to be honest, my budget is their budget. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like the housewives budget is your budget is that what you're saying i don't want to break the the fantasy for everybody but you know sometimes we'll you know we'll we'll cover the bill sometimes you know if it depends but i'll never forget when we went to a candle shop and the candles were almost 500 dollars, and she asked me for my credit card and i said we're following you honey and she was like who paid for this and i was like you pay for it your budget is my budget if you put the candles back <laughs> If the credit card declines, I'm not pulling out mine. (laughs) Wait, so, okay, the on-screen polish is going to go as far as what the housewife can provide, right? So if that's the case, though, then, like, who's paying for all these trips, all these weddings? Who's paying for all that? Oh, don't get me started on this. Uh, And when I say don't get me started, I genuinely do not know. That is one thing that I'm not privy to as a story producer, who is paying for all this. But I mean, I think we can all connect the dots that uh, Big Daddy Bravo is the one that's covering the bill for that. I like, see. can I just also say that this is not a Bravo situation. This is uh, this is every network, right? Sometimes they get trade out deals, which means, you know, all you have to do is show the logo and mention right. how much you love this hotel room. And that's uh, X amount of dollars taken off. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how we go to Dubai one week and then (laughs) then we go to Paris the next week for something so small like a birthday. Let's be honest. Like, you give your friend a a Publix cake and you keep it moving. (laughs) From what you're telling me, it's so clear that you and producers like you really have a hand in how things turn out and how housewives are able to fashion themselves for the show. 
Is there any specific memorable feedback that you've gotten from from any of the women that you produced over the years, positive or negative? I mean, you know, because you've been I've been kicked out of some of the ladies' houses at mid scene, <laughs> like. <laughs> Mid scene. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. You get kicked out. People don't talk about that. You get kicked out. Girl, people should know. We get kicked out. Okay. If they don't like it, <laughs> we get kicked out. And then, you know, luckily if they live down the street from another cast member and that cast member is available, you go to their house and you just shoot for like an hour, which is okay. Oh, it happens. Oh my god. And what do you guys expect we're filming divas? What do you, I expect diva behavior from time to time. Now, do I expect professionalism? Absolutely. But do I expect, you know, a, a bit of diva? Yes, absolutely. And then you just show back up. Yes, you should, like, no, hey. yes. How y'all doing? Yes, you do all that. <laughs> you do that whole song and dance. What's something you did as a producer that you are particularly proud of? Best thing that I've heard, and I, because I was doing a couple of interviews about like with the ladies about like how they saw me. You know, one thing that I was told was I, I allowed her to see herself. And I think that was like the biggest thing I walked away with. Denasia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. Thanks again to unscripted TV producer Denasia Ferguson. Coming up, now that we know how The Real Housewives is made, we turn to how their money is made. And later, we'll finally meet the leading ladies themselves. Stick around. The women of Bravo are called housewives, but in reality, these ladies are nothing like housewives in the traditional sense. After all, a lot of them are serious entrepreneurs, like Bethany Frankel from New York, whose Skinny Girl lifestyle brand reportedly sold for a nine-figure sum. And one super fan at the con was quick to name her as an inspiration. What is it about Bethany that you love? Because she's just a boss bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Say more about that. I have a company as well, so I'm an entrepreneur. And I remember I was, years ago, I was sitting with my roommate at the time, uh-huh. my roommate Sarah, and there was a scene that Bethany was in at that time. And she's like, I, my business has grown to the point where I don't have enough seats for every ass. And I said to my friend, I was like, that's my goal. I would love to be in a position where I don't have enough seats for every ass. And then actually I was a couple years later. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> the housewife to entrepreneur pipeline is real. And BravoCon was the perfect place to peddle their wares. So it looks like... There's a very long corridor of like individual sort of table slash booth things that are like all of the housewives' various businesses. We saw the housewives, candle lines, liquor brands, cosmetics, and athleisure wear. Some housewives like Bethany or Candy Burris of Atlanta have started successful businesses. And some, for example, She by Sheree Whitfield, also of Atlanta take over a decade to get off the ground. And then we have those like Jen Shah of Salt Lake City, who was recently indicted on fraud charges. But with a platform like theirs, having some kind of business they can boost on the show is kind of a no-brainer. And they use the sheer force of their personalities to do it. And I felt that force in person myself. After an afternoon of surveying the superfans, it was finally time to go face-to-face with the main draw of this cultural behemoth. The heart of the franchise. The divas themselves. 
we found our way to a little beige conference room that was done up like a miniature red carpet. Housewives cycled in so press people like us could get five minutes to talk with them. And did we ever. We were literally inches away from some of the defining women of the franchise. And in real life, they were just as dazzling as they are on screen. The boots. Yeah. The wow. boots. Okay, it's like a fringe knit outfit. Yeah. Sickening Python boots. She's stunning. Yeah. And the first housewife we talked to, she's got shade in spades. Somebody else mentioned that you're the shade assassin of Atlanta. I mean, it depends on the kind of shade. <laughs> oh, you really? You chose to wear this bag with this outfit? Okay. <laughs> oh, so you don't have mirrors. Wait, so did you just shade me? <laughs> I mean, that's shady, like, you know, that's not anything that is going to make you, you know, hurt yourself, but it's just fun, lightweight. That's Kenya Moore of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And she'll have you know she was also crowned Miss USA back in 93. She's been on Atlanta for over a decade. And in the beginning, she put that shade to work. Fix your double chin next time you go to the plastic surgeon. <laughs> I think I was painted as a villain, but I think I was the villain people love to hate. And here's the thing about the housewives. A lot of people say it's just like wrestling. There are faces, characters you root for, and heels, characters you love to hate. But Kenya's changed over the years. She's a face now, and she's only a little less shady. I mean, she did insult me the minute I met her, but she was also kind of nice about it. Also, she's gotten vulnerable on the show about her journey to becoming a mother and her complicated feelings about her own mother having abandoned her as a child. The thing with a docu-series is that you're following someone's life. And so that's when you kind of get to pull the curtains back and really kind of just see what they're really dealing with. And I think the beauty of being on a reality TV show is that by showing your vulnerability or things that you're having issues with in your life, you can help someone else, inspire them. The fans can relate to us and what we're going through. One of the main draws for viewers is seeing the housewives share their lives and their struggles. There's a catharsis in watching problems you can relate to play out on the show. And Real Housewives offers something different to the soap realm. While Black audiences had a proportionally high viewership of daytime TV in the 90s, there were not a lot of Black soaps. Real Housewives of Potomac and Atlanta focus very specifically on the daily lives of Black women. But these shows aren't always that great for the Housewives of Color. For example, on The Real Housewives of Dallas, several cast members were overtly racist to Tiffany Moon. Thank you for explaining my culture to me. Racism, Tiffany. I was talking about food. It was yes. about racism. Food is you part of it. my culture. And shortly after that, the show was canceled. And then on Beverly Hills, Garcelle Beauvais and Crystal Kung Minkoff called out some of their fellow Beverly Hills housewives for their racist microaggressions toward them. It wasn't taken well. I now know that that was not her intention, but the impact was how I felt. I think it's a little different, though. It's you got to stop, Kyle. No, enough actually, already. you have to stop. Enough. No, actually, you have to stop. I'm saying this because is my experience. The majority of the housewives across the franchise are white, and even on Atlanta and Potomac, the Real Housewives isn't actually doing anything revolutionary with its portrayal of black women, and it actually reinforces other isms like classism, colorism, and occasional homophobia. 
And one or more of these isms show up across all the installments. I mean, peak culture is still a reflection of our culture. But I still watch The Real Housewives of Atlanta and The Real Housewives of Potomac because I get something out of them I just don't get elsewhere. When there's conflict, they often have a self-protective bravado that I see in parts of myself too. But they act on it when I don't. I respond to that boldness, that larger-than-life quality that is deeply addictive. Which brings us to my favorite housewife, the one I was most excited to see at BravoCon, Karen Huger, the grand dame of the Real Housewives of Potomac. It seems like everybody brings a little something different. What talent do you bring to being a housewife? I am talent, but I'm God's talent. I am not sure what she meant when she said that to me, but I'm honestly ready to adopt it as my personal mantra. I love Karen on the show, but meeting the Grand Dame in person was a vibe. And Karen, in her earlier seasons, she was a literal housewife. And honestly, a bit uptight. You started off being a real um, <laughs> fan of etiquette. <laughs> still am. Okay, good to know. Still, You still are. But over the years, she's begun to open up about her struggles, like experiencing sexual assault in college. Was I comfortable season one being myself? I don't think a housewife on the brand would say they were. You know, the first season is always the most difficult, the most challenging. But I always knew that I would settle into just being confidently me and sharing my truth, be that good or bad. And with age, which I just did the 5-9, that's called wisdom, I love making people smile. But I also love letting people know I hurt, I bleed, I love And I win, and I lose, too. And on the show, she wields her age like an asset. I think the responsibility I have is to touch every woman that feels bad after turning 50 about being 50. Hello. No, honey. Embrace it and take it for what it is. And I'm 5'9". I'm very proud of it. And next year, I will be the triple 20, God willing. And I'm going to walk into that just like this, fierce as hell because it's a wonderful thing to be a powerfully mature woman and fully vested. You can't touch me. And you know, Karen is honestly what I want to be like when I'm her age. I mean, you just heard her. She's built herself up so much, but she can still take a joke, even at her own expense. Like when her castmate, Ashley Darby, put on one of Karen's wigs and started impersonating her as Kern. Kern! This girl is obsessed with me. Poor baby. She's truly unflappable and truly grown. I feel like a lot of the messaging around aging is about being less, winding down. And I'm starting to really feel that myself. But Karen is turning up. And I'm taking note. This is the magic of the Real Housewives as a cultural institution. It's built on a sturdy foundation of relation, inspiration, and aspiration. And I am so susceptible. Trust me, when I saw all those housewives sitting on that panel stage, I was like, wow. (laughs) I need to, like, I'm going to get my hair done, I'm going to get my nails done. Like, I just need to, like, they all looked amazing and incredible, like, glowing. 
As much as me and the other BravoCon attendees were looking in awe at the housewives, the fans were also dazzled by each other. Walking around, we were seeing so many fans rollicking together, gossiping, giggling, grabbing each other when they saw a passing Bravo celebrity. We walked up to groups of people who seemed so breathlessly in tune, we thought they must have been childhood friends. Great thing about BravoCon is like, you know, some of my friends aren't really into it, but here everyone is into it, and it feels like you just get to like relive moments with people that are like, like we met today, you know, and we're like laughing about hey, episodes. Yeah, wait, and, you, I was here by myself, and we met today at a panel. Whoa, 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 whoa! So you all literally made a friendship connection today. Yeah. Well, because like you can laugh with them, and like you, it's like everybody knows the inside joke. And as the sun was setting on our day at BravoCon, Liam and I realized something. The realest housewives were the friends we made along the way. (laughs) When you think about going to a con, like you think about like being around people who are so deeply obsessed with whatever the topic is that like almost like if you're not on their level, then like you can't relate. And that's kind of what I was, that was what I was anticipating coming in. But like I have so much affection for all the people that we met today. Like, they have been so nice, so kind, so fun, so funny and insightful. And, and the housewives, too. Like, yes, and the housewives, too. And the housewives, too. Was this a homecoming for us and we didn't know? Perhaps. Like, I honestly <laughs> feel like this changed my head around. Yeah. Real Housewives is a fandom, just like wrestling or comics. And it's peak culture for those of us in it. For those of us who love the sport of the housewives. Thanks again to Danasia Ferguson, AC Holly, and all the fans and housewives we met at BravoCon. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Liam McBain. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Our intern is Jamal Michelle. Engineering support came from Ko Takasugi Chernobin, Catherine Silva, Neil Rauch, Neil T. Volt. We have fact-checking help from Katie Doggart. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. We'll see you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. <laughs> 